Well, good morning again. Welcome to worship. That was fantastic. Uh, Praise the Lord. We are finishing up our series entitled Breakthrough this morning. And for the last few weeks, we've been breaking down the Ten Commandments. And if you've been with us, you've seen how we're walking through the commandments, but we're not just talking about the the don'ts or the do's of the Ten Commandments as just a set of rules, but how we can encounter God in and through the Ten Commandments. And so we've gone through one God, no idols, respect God's name, keep the Sabbath holy, honor your father and mother on tablet one. And then we've continued on. Right? Do not murder big over little. Do not commit adultery. Two's company, three's a crowd. Do not steal. Do not lie. And do not covet. And so this morning we are talking about coveting. Covet. It's not exactly a word that we use on a regular basis, is it? But it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21, and this is what it says. It says, And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And so when you look at the word, essentially to covet is, is just to desire something. But in this context, it's more than just a desire. Right? It's an over-desire. It's an envious desire. It's a desire that comes when we aren't satisfied with our life. When we hate the emptiness that we feel. And so we desperately try to fill that void with something. It's a desire that at the end of the day has ultimately replaced our what? Our desire for God. See, I hope you can start to see the connections between the first and the tenth commandment here, right? The tenth, thou shalt not covet. And the first, you shall have no other gods before me. Ultimately, they're pointing to the same thing, that God is to be our ultimate satisfaction, that God is to be our ultimate treasure. And so worshiping anything other than God is breaking the first commandment. It's idolatry. Right, And then Paul says that idolatry is breaking the tenth commandment. And so covet may not be a word that we use every day, but it is something that we have to battle daily because it comes from idolatry. It comes from the grass is greener syndrome. Right? You all know what that is, the if-then syndrome. If only my spouse would do this or be this, then my life would be complete and I would be happy. Right? If only my children would do this or be this, then my life would be complete and happy. If only I had X amount of dollars in the bank account, then my life would be complete and happy. If only my life looked like such and such as then, I would be complete and happy. Students, if only you got on this team, or made this grade, or made your parents say this, then your life would be complete and happy. 
right? It's a real and constant struggle in our daily lives. And so how do we battle it? Well, the way that we battle a covetous heart is by pursuing contentment. The way we battle a covetous heart is by pursuing contentment. From Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, this is what Paul says. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that this morning you would open our hearts and our eyes to see the areas where we are worshiping and desiring something other than you. And that you would call us back to yourself and call us to repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul, he's, he's writing this letter in Philippians. And he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he's writing to encourage them, to encourage them to live out their citizenship that's in heaven. Right? And so he's coming to the end of this letter in, in chapter 4. And as he gets to the end in verse 10, you immediately see that Paul is thanking the church for a gift. But then he take, takes a moment, and he doesn't just say thank you. He says he provides insight, and he provides insight into his faith. Because if you look at it, you go, Man, are you saying like you didn't really need it? No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying there's something bigger at work. And that something bigger is contentment. Contentment. Right? So we're this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to walk through this passage together. We're just going to look at several different principles about contentment. And the first thing you see right out of the gate, in verse, starting in verse 11, is that contentment is not natural. Contentment is not natural. Natural. Look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, ev- in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, the fact that contentment has to be learned shows us what? That it doesn't come naturally. And that it's hard. Sure, contentment was natural at one point. Way back in Genesis 1 and 2, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, there was contentment. There was lots of contentment. There was ultimate contentment and ultimate peace, ultimate shalom. But then what happens? Genesis 3 happens. And all this ultimate peace that we have with God and with ourselves and with each other and with creation gets completely wrecked. In Genesis 3, where where sin enters. And so we're left. We're left with this emptiness. And we're left with this void that Blaise Pascal wonderfully 
articulates when he says there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. A God-shaped vacuum, a God-shaped hole that can only be filled through Jesus. It's like the shape sort or toy that my children have, right? And the circle is only going to go in the circle, and the square only in the square because it's designed that way. And so you watch them trying to force the circle into the square, and it doesn't fit, and then they just drop it and go on and do something else. I couldn't even find the thing to bring it up here to show you what one looked like. Uh, but it's, it's, it, there's a hole, and only God, through Jesus, is meant to fill it. And so the problem is that we seek to fill that void with everything but Jesus. And the more we do it, the more we know it does not work. Right, yesterday I ran the Rose City run, and I am paying for it today. <laughs> but after I finished the run and beat the person who graciously ran slow with me, uh, <laughs> right at the end, <laughs> we got finished, right? And I was hot, and I was sweaty, and I was thirsty and my body needed fluids and so we crossed the line and I was in search of something to drink. Now, what do you think I grabbed when I crossed the finish line? Do you think that I grabbed a big cup of sand? No. Could you imagine hot, tired, sweaty, Nasty, thirsty, this is going to make me real happy. And whoever has to clean that up is not going to be happy. But real happy, right? No. What did I do? I found every glass and cup of water and Gatorade that I could possibly find. Right? And I drank it. Because the only thing that will fill our emptiness. And that void is a relationship with Jesus. In the same way that the only thing that's going to quench our thirst when we're hot and when we're tired is not a cup of sand, but it's a relationship with Christ. That's why Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become a spring of water that wells up into eternal Life. And so Jesus is saying, be satisfied in me. But often when we experience hard circumstances, or we're painfully aware of that void that exists, when we turn off the radio and put down our cell phones and you're quiet by yourself and you're alone, then you experience that. And you, you, you seek to do one of two things, you, you find your satisfaction in Jesus. Or you find it in something else. And so we think, if I can only have this, then my life will be complete. And so contentment is not natural, and contentment is hard. And so it has to be learned. But it doesn't happen overnight, right? Because number two, the second thing we see is that contentment is a process. 
Look at what Paul says. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I know this, have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It doesn't come overnight. It comes over time. It comes with life experience. And Paul had plenty of it. Right? Paul, the apostle, he starts out as a Pharisee and then he has this life-altering encounter with Jesus. And when you look at his circumstances, the fact that he's saying, I've learned to be content... It's pretty remarkable. I mean, from his writings, you know that Paul was at one point blind. He was cold. He got beat up. He got run out of town. He was stoned with rocks. Right? Stoned with rocks. Some of y'all perked up. <laughs> Wasn't even the students. Uh, stoned with rocks. He was rich. He was poor. He was full. He was hungry. He had some type of nagging thorn in his flesh. He was shipwrecked. He got bit by a snake. And now he's writing this letter in prison. And he's saying, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content when it's good. Thanks be to God. And I've learned to be content when it's not. Thanks be to God. That's why Job can say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Contentment. See, Paul had learned to find his satisfaction and his contentment not in his circumstances, not in the highs or the lows, but only in Jesus. But it is a process. Number three, but it is also all-encompassing. Look at what he says. Not that I'm speaking of being need, for I have learned in whatever situation, in any and every circumstance, Now, he is speaking specifically here of a financial situation, but general enough to show that contentment is something we should pursue in every aspect of life. And he's not talking about an apathy here. He's not talking about never desiring to better oneself or or working hard to become a better spouse and a better, better parent and a better sibling and a better child and a better employee or a better employer. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is that when life happens and circumstances are hard and undesirable, don't play the grass is greener. Pursue an attitude of peace. Pursue an attitude of trust. Trust in God's sovereignty. Trust in God's control. Trust in God's love for you and Christ. And you're saying everything, 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 One of my best friends last week called me. He has thyroid cancer. I was talking to him. I said, how you doing? Uh, He said, I'm fighting. I'm fighting for perspective. And I thought, that's it. It's it's all-encompassing. Every aspect in our health, in our finances, in our parenting. It's fighting for perspective. What does Paul say? He says he hasn't arrived, but he's fighting. He's fighting in all of life and experiences. You learn how to do that. And Jimmy said, I'm, I'm fighting for a good perspective. And guess what? Some days it's going to be good, and some days it's going to be bad. But he's fighting. He's actively fighting the battle of pursuing his joy and his peace, not in his circumstances, but his joy and his peace, and his satisfaction 
in the fact that he is a child of the king because of Jesus. And number four, ultimate contentment is found only in and through Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I hate to bust your spiritual bubble regarding this verse, but it is not a genie in the bottle verse, right? You rub it on whatever you want and it'll happen, right? It's not pixie dust. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and so I'll throw a little Jesus in there, and nope, I got it done. No, wrong, right? Athletes use this all the time to help them score touchdowns. Paul's not talking about touchdowns. He's talking about contentment. In fact, many scholars think that this could be translated in him, in him, and not necessarily through him. They think that that's exactly what he was getting at. Is it's not just through Jesus as it's a channel, but his satisfaction. I can do all things through in him, in him who strengthens me. See, in Christ, Paul's saying, I am provided with everything I need to win and to lose. Provided with everything I need to be a success and to fail. That no matter the circumstances, that Jesus is enough. Because circumstances are going to go do this all through life. Up and down. Up and down. And it's only a deep, abiding satisfaction in Christ that can lead us and grow us in contentment. You say, well, that's great, but you don't know my circumstances. It doesn't matter. Jesus does. That's so why we have a great high priest who's been tempted in every way that we have and has gone on before us. And that Jesus knows. You say, so what do we do? Well, where do you struggle? Where do you struggle with the grass is greener? Your finances? Your marriage? Your school? Your family, sports, where is it hard? When do you experience the emptiness, the very deep knowing that I'm not complete and that something is missing? And when you experience that, how do you respond? Do you respond with sand? If I can just have this, then I'll be complete. If I can just fill myself with this, then I can be complete. Or water. Or everlasting water found only in Jesus. And so my encouragement to you this week is to spend some time thinking about your grass is greener list. Spend some time. What are the... What are the categories in my life where I find myself doing this? And find, look through your scripture. Find some verses that claim Christ's sufficiency in those areas. And commit to battle those areas. And so when we, we, myself included, when we find ourselves with our grass is greener attitude, to stop ourselves, when I've got that feeling of if I only had this, to go stop. No, wait, don't. And go, Father, 
I've got that feeling again. It's coming up. I feel it. I'm anxious. I'm nervous. I'm, I'm not satisfied. My heart is empty. And as opposed to running to the sand, we run to Jesus. And we say, help me. You, Jesus, are my satisfaction. Your word tells me that you supply all my needs according to your riches and not my own. Forgive my greed. Forgive my over-desires. Forgive my covetousness. And help me be filled with your love for me. Fight the battle. The battle to pursue contentment.